Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we have a special bonus episode for you. We have with us Cheryl Strayed, the author of Wild and Tiny Beautiful Things with us on Brown Girls Happy Hour. Wait, I don't think we have talked about Brown Girls Happy Hour on the podcast before, have we? Yeah, you're right. I think we haven't. So Brown Girls Happy Hour is an IG live series that we started where two brown girls that is both of us. Yeah. <laughs> make cocktails and discuss books with authors. We do it bi-weekly on Instagram. And the best part is that we got Cheryl Strayed on our show. I still can't believe it happened. Me either. So let's just go to our conversation right now. Welcome to Brown Girls Happy Hour, where two brown girls make cocktails or mocktails. And we have guests over to discuss their books, their inspiration and their journeys. Today we have with us Cheryl Strayed and I'm pretty sure she doesn't need an introduction at all. So excited today. I know, it feels like a dream. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, guys. How are you? It's so nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for joining us. This is so special for us. We don't have words for it. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like a dream. Yeah, we kept reminding each other that this is happening, but you know, it's still dreamlike. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. I'm so grateful to be here. I've listened to several of these before our talk, and I just, I can't wait to to have our conversation. So, the way we do it is we usually start with a drink so that we can sip on our drinks and then we talk. I love that. (laughs) Today, we are making a very simple mocktail so we don't spend too much time on the drink and we can spend more time with you. (laughs) So, for that, you need a glass with some ice in it. Okay. You need one ounce of ginger beer or like a ginger syrup. I've got my ginger beer. Oh, wow. One ounce of that and then half ounce of lemon juice or lime juice. Okay, I have my fresh lime. And now the last step. You just top it off with some soda. I have my lemon flavored soda here. Okay. That's it. Cheers to us. Cheers. 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 And thanks to all of you out there who are are watching this. I I hope you're joining us in our delicious Wild mocktail. Yeah, it is delicious. Cheryl, if you were to name this drink, what would you call it? Um, Let's see. How about we call it a wild ginger? Oh, nice. Mm. I love the wild in there. Yeah. You gotta, mm. the, the great thing about writing a book called Wild is you can work is that you can work that word into everything. And I must admit, I'm sort of, I'm shameless in that way. I'm always like, wild this, wild that, writing wild, living wild, you know, loving well, wild. We are fans of bragging about our own work. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we love it. Well, everyone so, knows you from your book, Wild. But I was actually reading this book recently. I picked it up. And I know it started as a column you responded to people's letters. And now it's also a podcast, I believe. So how did you come upon this idea? Well, really, it wasn't my idea. When I first started writing the Dear Sugar column, I was asked by my friend Steve Almond, who at the time 
he wasn't a friend of mine. He was really an acquaintance of mine. And this, I started reading this website called The Rumpus. And it was about, gosh, about 10, a little more than 10 years ago. I noticed this advice column that was written by this anonymous person. And I liked it. But I noticed he was hardly ever writing it. And so I wrote this Dear Sugar, a fan letter saying, I love your column. You should write it more often. And a few months later, I get this email from Steve Allman saying, you know, I am the guy writing the Dear Sugar column. And your note is the only fan letter I've ever received. <laughs> and he said, I don't want to write the column anymore. I'm just not that interested in it. But I, he said, I know your work. I know your writing. And I think that you would be the perfect person for it. He had read my first novel, Torch, and he'd read some essays I'd published at that point. And he just said, I just have a feeling that you'll be good at this. And I just thought, oh, that sounds fun. I mean, it is fun to get letters full of people telling you about their their struggles and their secrets and their sorrows. And so I, I said, sure, the, it paid nothing, zero. And I had never thought about writing an advice column before, but I, I started doing it. And what happened is, you know, I, I just decided when you get paid nothing, you can do whatever you want. So I just thought, I'm not going to just limit it to advice. I'm going to actually engage with these questions in a, in, in, as a writer. I'm going to really go deep. I'm going to really try to really address those deep questions that writers are constantly addressing when we write. And so most of the columns turned out to be really like essays about big things, about what does it mean to be human. And 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 so people did online started sharing it with each other. And that's how Dear Sugar was born. And it was this little thing I did on the side that became a really big thing in my life. As you say, I'm still sugar. And it is. Honestly speaking, sometimes very hard to read. For me, I feel like the book works like a mirror in some ways. Shows you really hard truths about yourself you maybe don't want to see sometimes. So, mm-hmm. And I also feel like some people have really hard, sad stories sometimes. So mm-hmm. how do you take care of yourself while being helpful to them? That's a great question. And, and yeah, I mean, it's something that I've had to learn how to handle now over a long period of time. because. Like I said, so I started writing the column for the Rumpus back in 20 or yeah, 2011. And then it became the book, Tiny Beautiful Things. And then it was for a while a podcast that I co-hosted with Steve called Dear Sugars. And now I resurrected the column, like the old, you know, the old school column on a Substack newsletter for subscribers. And so I've been doing one a month. You know, I never in all these 10 years stopped receiving letters from people. And so many times these letters are so full of pain, so full of fear, desperation, you know, true suffering. And what I've learned is this. I've learned this about myself as a writer and as an advice giver is, you know, I'm going to still feel that kind of burden of that pain. I'm going to always feel that sense of compassion for other people. But I think writing, like doing the work I do with Dear Sugar, in some ways, it it lightens that load. It doesn't increase the load, it lightens it. Because I feel like I'm doing something to help. So, you know, I might have a thousand letters for every one letter I actually answer. But I do feel like, you know, I'm not just helping one person when I answer a letter. I'm helping the many, many people who read the letter who say, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I needed right now. In some ways, it's like I, I'm the kind of person who feels like doing at least something is better than doing nothing. And, and it, I feel sort of lighter every time I write another column. 
Yeah, I love how you, you know, describe your journey. It just started as something that you were not getting paid for. And now it just becomes so big. And, you know, Daman and I keep discussing among ourselves, like this podcast that we're doing. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, come, it comes from a very passionate place to read books created by BIPOC authors, helping them find a voice. But we're still seeing that, you know, there are so many things that have improved in this world uh, where BIPOC authors can actually come on and write more books but there's a lot of work that needs to be done even now so we wanted to ask you what do you think about that how can we help other BIPOC authors come forward and write books and publish them well I think that so many people you know there's so many there's so much power in people when it comes to books when it comes to writing whether it be writing on the internet or uh, traditional publishing in the form of books it's really a people-powered business, and it's about people like you guys, like me, like so many hundreds of writers who I know, whether they be people I know personally or who are just in the, the kind of community, is stepping forward and, and champing, you know, shouting about each other's work and saying, look at this book. Here is a book you have to read. Here is a, you know, let me post this link on my social media platform. Let me... You know, when I have a gift to give, let me give the gift of a book. I was one of the founding sort of organizers of this organization called VIDA, Women in the Literary Arts. And we, what we were noticing is that women were being published in lesser numbers and prominent literary mm-hmm. journals. And we said, okay, like we can't change this overnight, but what we can do is start talking about it, start featuring, you know, start really um, advocating for uh, putting women in more prominent places. And I think but that's exactly what you guys do in your podcast. You're saying, let's look at this. Let's talk about this. Let's bring this voice to the fore. And I do think that we all play a part in that. And especially those of us who are writers. Like one of the greatest pleasures I have always had is to be the champion of our other writers. You know, you just take a look at my calendar, look at my social media. And I'm, you know, very often saying, read this book, look at this yeah. work blurbing other people's books. I think that that stuff makes a huge difference. That's so true. I often come back to this thought that we all have some sort of consumer power within us. So if we start picking more books written by diverse authors and more BIPOC authors, we amplify them. Uh, But we cannot just sit on the sidelines and complain that industry is not changing when we are not contributing towards that. Right. And it is about obviously amplifying those voices, but also just buying their books. I always say that. My my sort of joke is always like, when I would talk about my own book, it's like, you don't have to read my book, just buy my book. (laughs) And, you know, obviously, I want people to read it, but go buy a book by a black woman, go buy a book by an Asian writer, like those are the things that are actually, over time, going to have a huge impact on that writer's career. Yeah, this comes back to something, Kathy, you and I have often discussed, how when we start a new business as women, especially as women of color, we often find a lack of support. And by support, you know, financial support is the biggest support you can give to somebody who's just starting something out, outright. So I wholeheartedly agree with your message that we need to buy. We, we need to put our money behind the people we, that we want to support. We cannot just be talking about it. Absolutely. And, you know, another, obviously, the, the two of you have, talked about this before too and thought about this a lot before too but you know I think that the more we center the voices of 
women, whether it be women writers of color or just all writers of color, the more also we realize that their the stories they tell are at the center in the way, in the same way that like we've always assumed throughout time that white male writers were the center, that we all could relate to their stories. Uh, the truth is, is we all can relate to all writers' stories because all writers, whether whatever, regardless of the particular subject matter, the particular characters we're writing about, what we're always writing into is that universal, deep human experience that we can see ourselves in people who have vastly different lives than us. That is just the truth. And I think sometimes that a lot of, frankly, a lot of white readers will think, oh, you know, I won't relate to that book by a writer of color, and they're wrong. And so putting that work before that kind of, you know, before as many readers as possible is going to start to, you know, obliterate that story. Yeah. And we also have a question from someone here. Otherwise Delightful is asking, the essay about desire completely guts me as a therapist. Have you kept in touch? Hi, Otherwise Delightful. So yeah, that is your sugar column called How You Get Unstuck. This woman wrote to me, she had had a miscarriage and she was grieving this and feeling really unheard by a lot of people, misunderstood by a lot of people around her. She was blaming herself and she was in pain and she was saying, I'm stuck in this place of grief. And I told the story about when I was in my twenties, I worked as a youth advocate in this middle school, in this middle school and high school. I worked with teen girls who had really difficult lives. You know, I was really trying to kind of, as their advocate and mentor, really trying to help them feel empowered, even though all around them, they were dealing with lots of very difficult things, poverty, you know, many of their parents were addicted to drugs and so forth. And I was trying to sort of help them see their own power and their own strength. And this young woman, Desiree, went from a a really difficult life and grew up. And when I ran into her years later, she was working at the Taco Bell. And she said to me, you know, I made it. I really did. And it was such a beautiful, powerful moment. I haven't seen Desiree since then. But what I know is that, you know, and and what was interesting to me when people read that column, most people kind of understood what I was saying. One person said, oh, is working in Taco Bell making it? And my reply to that was, for Desiree, it absolutely was. You know, here she had become self-sufficient. She had gotten a job. She had, you know, she was thriving, whereas before she had you know, pull back. I think that that is the thing that we forget about transformation, about healing, about changing our lives is it doesn't have to look one way. It doesn't have to be, we all go to Yale and become, you know, surgeons, right? That there's nothing wrong with going to Yale and surgeon, but different people take different paths. One person's mountaintop might be working at Taco Bell. And I think that what's really powerful in our own lives is we say, where am I? Where do I want to go? And how do I get there? And Desiree did that. Yeah, I feel like in today's world, we're all like somehow subconsciously racing towards, you know, someone else's goals. So it's very important to center yourself and, you know, ask yourself, yeah, what does success look like to me? Or what does transformation look like to me? That's a really important message. Thank you for saying that. You know, I'm wearing a necklace and it says, I don't know if you can see it, it says protagonist. And my friend Rachel Duwaskin, she's this amazing writer, gave me this necklace. And what you just said, center yourself. I think sometimes we forget that we are the protagonists of our lives. It is up to us to set our course. And our, of course, 
our lives are going to be original. They're not going to be necessarily following a prescribed path. And very often when we think we have to follow a path that was set for us by somebody else, we're not happy because we feel like we're following orders instead of living our lives. I agree. And I'm going to remember that protagonist for myself going forward. Yeah, you need one of these necklaces, both of you, Yaya. I think she Yeah, I think I need it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sharon, how has it been during COVID? Have you been writing on something new? I have. So, I'm working on my next book, really hoping to to have it done within the next, I don't know, while. Right before COVID hit, I was hired. I, I can't give you the details, but what I can tell you is I was hired by this wonderful team of producers and a director and an actor to write a feature-length screenplay about a famous woman who is now dead. And I can't say her name. I can't be public about it yet, but I did write this screenplay, wrote three drafts of it, It's and it's making its way through Hollywood now. And hopefully wow. the movie will get made. Who knows? But it was really cool because I've done some script writing before, but it's not my kind of first love i went back to kind of uh, the schoolhouse really in some ways and learned you know taught myself really how to write a script i did that i resurrected the dear sugar letters as a subject newsletter that's been really interesting and i've been working on my book which is a memoir my next book i can't wait for that yeah it would be amazing to read it <laughs> thank I'm you like, today's podcast is presented by podgo Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Yeah, I think we have one more question. We see so much of your work is about your good and loving mother. Any advice for those of us who have mothers in our lives who are not so great? Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, that's one of the greatest lessons in my life really has come from having my books in the world and getting to have these conversations with other people. And one thing I learned, first of all, is the way that I grieved my mom and the way I loved my mom long after her death is so so many people relate to that like so many other people have lost someone they love dearly and they understand my grief another layer of things that i've really learned from those people who in a mother lost community are that there are ways that you can lose your mom where she's still alive that she's lost that she's not a great mom because of addiction or mental illness or some other break in that bond and I think it's a it's a very different kind of loss, but it's a tremendous loss nonetheless. And, you know, I relate to that. I mean, I have that with my father. I have a biological father who is alive, and I don't have a relationship with him, and I haven't. And what I can say to you, Rebecca, is just it's like any kind of any kind of suffering in our lives, that we have to find a way to survive it. We have to find a way, possibly, once we can move beyond the pain and the anger and all of that stuff to move to this place of acceptance so that you can get to a place where you can live with it and not let that sorrow hold you back. And I think the final kind of step, at least in my own life, in that process for me about my dad was finally getting to this place of really kind of relinquishing ever any idea that he would be the father I deserved, that he would be a, a positive force in my life. And, and it really relinquished that 
and then turn that wisdom into something that helps other people. You know, it's been really healing for me to write about my father loss, to write about my mother loss in ways that I'm really honest about my experience. Because when I express, whenever I express my own pain, people come to me and say, thank you, I have that pain too. And and that does two things for me. One is it makes me feel not so alone, but it also makes me realize, okay, well, I can turn my pain into something actually kind of strangely positive in my life. I'm nurturing somebody from a place where I feel empty. That's so healing. That's so healing. You know, I know Mother's Day is a mind. It's a hard, hard day for a lot of people. It's it's a complicated day for me. I'm a mother, so I like being celebrated by my kids. But I miss my mom every year, and my heart always goes out to the many, many, many people who feel pain for many reasons on this day. Yeah, thank you, Cheryl, for saying this. I think there are a lot of us around in the world who can find comfort in your words. So thank you for thank that. You. So, and we had um, one last question from audience. Is there a part two of tiny beautiful things that we can expect? Oh, that's so interesting. You know, it's funny because so I did. I started the Dear Sugar letter, and actually, if the two of you just message me in Instagram, give me your email addresses, and I'll add. You, I'll copy you to the subscriber list so you can get a monthly Dear Sugar letter if you want. I just do one a month, but it's like the big long column, and I've done six so far. And I started to feel like my husband said to me, you know, he's like, are you, are these going to become like tiny, beautiful things part two? And I, I don't know that I would say yes to that yet, but who knows? Like maybe, you know, in a year or so after I've accumulated more, perhaps. Yeah, you should do it. Definitely. There should be like multiple parts of it. Okay. Yeah. It's just <laughs> ongoing. That's the thing. We never stop having problems, right? <laughs> never. Yeah. I guess one more question that I had was before we end is, uh, do you have any message for everyone who's viewing this live? Well, it's interesting. We've been talking about the ways that the Dear Sugar column and Tiny Beautiful Things can be very helpful and healing to others. What's also true is all the books I've written, people have said to me, oh, that helped so much. And I realized that that's how I feel about a lot of the the books I love the most. I'm reading right now, Ashley Ford's memoir, Somebody's Daughter, which is going to be published next month. It's her first book. And as I read it, like I feel it's a painful book. And yet there's a way in which it's healing too. I just finished reading Alison Bechtel's new graphic memoir, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Healing, healing. And I think that that is to me the power of literature is it shows us to ourselves. And so it makes us feel less alone. It shows us a way forward. My message to everyone is, you know, books will save your life. And the beautiful medicine that the two of you offer the world through these conversations is saying, yes, let me show you, you know, this wide spectrum of many books, you know, let's, let's bring them forward and celebrate them. And that's, that's powerful work you do. So my message is, you know, keep reading, keep putting your faith in the words that people put on the page, you know, through all time. Thank you, Cheryl, so much for joining us today and for being so real and honest with us. We love talking to you so much. Oh, you are both wonderful, beautiful people. Thank you so much for inviting me. And here, we're going to cheers out with yes. our beautiful <laughs> mocktail. Our, I think we should call them the wild sugar ginger drink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cheers to wild sugar gingers. <laughs> cheers. Wild sugar ginger. Cheers. Yay.
This was our conversation with Cheryl Strait, which we still can't believe has happened. I know. And for more author interviews, follow us on our Instagram, Brown Girls Happy Hour. For our next episode, we are going to discuss Carry On Warrior by Glennon Doyle. We hope you'll be reading it with us. And until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, browngirlsreadpod and browngirlsread1 on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.